The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Everyone, this is Cameron Fry coming at you 11:15 a.m. Friday. A unique time, I admit, but I'm off work this week because I'm on paternity leave. This is the first His Girl Friday podcast I am cutting since the arrival of Milo Paxton Fry last Saturday at 12:30 p.m. A 33-hour laboring delivery experience that I'm going to share on today. Now. Before I forget to say it, the title of this pod is called Staying Strong in the Void of Calm. Staying Strong in the Void of Calm. And this is going to cover what Liz and I experienced last weekend as we brought Milo, baby Milo, into the world. So I want to talk about some of the lessons we learned, or rather relearned, uh, our perseverance story the narrative of strength as we had to call a number of audibles. We came in with a birth plan and we found ourselves having to rely on God in a completely different way, trusting Him, leaning on Him for His understanding and wisdom when it didn't make sense to us. And for a lot of people who have children, they have unique stories and testimonies. And this is no better than the ones you've heard already, but I think each one offers a different take or maybe a different angle, a different timeline. Trust has a lot of different shapes and forms, and so I think it's worth sharing your story, and maybe I'll get lists to come on, and we can tag team on a future episode, so consider this 1B to the 1A that's coming, but relying on God, finding God in chaos the chaos that comes when we are at our wits end physically. Now, wives, mothers, you know this in a completely different way that men can't possibly understand. But it is a team effort. God intended the male-female relationship, the husband-wife relationship, I should say, to come together and team and be in unity before kids come into the picture. And then you can not just rely on unity because we're not relying on the relationship we're relying on God in turn relationally. Um, so we're talking about all this. Uh, let's flesh it out. But let's just kind of let, let me at least address the timeline linearly, and we'll break it down uh, by intersection, uh, by big decision, that, all the decisions we had to make. So let's pray first. Lord, we come before you and give you this time. The next few minutes, we ask that you come and center this conversation, this dialogue that we have. Like in any situation, Lord, we want your words, your voice, your heart to be known. So pray that it's not me who speaks, but you who speaks through me. And pray that you'll open our eyes and ears to listen, to hear, to receive from you uh, so that we can go the rest of today and our week strengthened, refreshed, and encouraged, especially in places where the enemy has tried to sow discouragement. So we commit this time into your hands. We consecrate it with gladness and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last Friday, 3.30 in the morning, I can't believe it's already been over a week now, Lissa's water broke, and 
this was a sign of things to come because normally Lissa's water had to be broken at the very end uh, with Caden and Everly. Both Caden and Everly, uh, their labor and delivery times were about 11, 11 and a half hours. And normally the contractions would start. We knew that we were in labor, but this was uh, a different type of beginning. It was more Hollywood in nature because, you know, you watch movies when someone's about to give birth, the water breaks because it's more, I guess it's more of a big deal. It's it's more, what's the word? Um, like attention grabbing. Uh, it's It emphasizes, like it's easier to capture on a screen a birth that's about to come by the sudden impact of water on the ground. And we had that. Um, of course, I was asleep unless I'd be like, yeah, hey, Cam, this is this is going on. Let's get ready. So um, let me remind real quick, pause on the birth story and let's jump back to a few weeks ago because I don't think I really talked about it. Um, I actually felt more, not encouraged, but I felt kind of this pre-sense of confidence heading into this birth because of what happened October, I want to say it was October 9th. And that was the day where Lissa had a preeclampsia scare. She was on the ground in the bathroom. She got a stomach bug, but and I knew that she was sick because she was throwing up. Caden was throwing up. We had a very sick household a couple weeks ago. But um, that, that night, on the 9th, she was on the bathroom just writhing in pain, screaming and you know begging me to call 911. And we had to get the ambulance, the paramedics over to pick her up off the ground, put her in a wheelchair. Um, we had to get a bunch of fluids and saline just pumped into her, just several rounds. She was super dehydrated, but she just had a really bad bug at 37 and a half weeks, and we thought it could be much worse. It was definitely the right call for me to call 911. I wasn't sure if it was life-threatening, but it could have been early induction, uh, an early induction scenario. Uh, so thankfully it wasn't preeclampsia, or I may, be per- I may be mispronouncing it, but that's what it's called. Um, she just had a very bad bug at a bad time, and so that night I got one hour of sleep, I, there was so much adrenaline pumping through my veins. I slept on the ground. There was no bedding. It was just a very, it was a terrible environment. Uh, very cell-like, no windows, just, it was underground, kind of like we were kind of taking shelter from, in a, in a war-type environment. We were warring, though, in a different way, but that that moment, that 24-hour period, or Liz was just really sick, um, I felt like that was the low point of the month, whereas whatever pain we would experience or she would experience uh, giving birth to Milo, it would pale in comparison to that. So I already felt like the worst was behind us heading into uh, the, the birth of Milo. So coming back to last Friday, we go to the hospital. There's this sense of chill and calm, and we're, we start off the day relaxing. We're not in a hurry. We already were ready. So we just kind of were preparing for the day like it was any other, just getting coffee, putting the coffee on. Um, just making multiple trips to the car. We weren't rushing. We were walking. We were probably briskly pacing, but um, we weren't nervous because, uh, yeah, we'd been there before. The combination of having Caden and Everly before and then having the preeclampsia scare a few weeks prior, like we just were ready. Um, we, and we've been ready for months. I might have uh, leaked that out in prior pods, but get to the hospital at six, had our Starbucks, we're ready to go, and we find out pretty early, around 7, 8 o'clock that morning, that we're at 2, 2 2.5 centimeters. And long story short, we were stuck there for hours and hours. There was no movement. Contractions were so subtle, Liz would have some, and 
she wouldn't realize she was having them. I was watching them on the monitor. I was kind of watching the paperwork, you know, like the zigzag Richter scale type thing. Um, the needle goes up and down. You could watch the hills, but they were very subdued. And so we're just kind of waiting for something to happen for 24 hours, sticking to the birth plan. And we're trying to just, um, we're just expecting the con the contractions to build in intensity and come more frequently. And that just never happened. So once you hit the 24 hour mark in a lot of states, that's when you start to take action and preventative measures because of uh, risk of infection. Oversimplifying, I know, but just, you know, you, you, at that point, the risk for fevers uh, for the mothers and um, even the, the, the babies, I guess they can get a bunch of different infections as they, uh, you know, the hours start to increase. So we realized that we had to deviate off our birth plan several times and apologize for the crying behind the scenes. We have a house of five now we're adjusting. And so I'm not going to hide cutting these pods because there needs to be some realism represented in them. I don't, we have a small house and we have walls, but they're not always going to soundproof everything. So someday we'll have an office and there'll be better acoustics and a better setup, but I'm not going to be intimidated. So apologies, but at least you get to be invited into the escaping chaos, I will say, because it's really right now the house is in great shape. The Lord has been good to us this week, kind of getting off on a rabbit trail here. I'll come back around, but Anywho, so we there were several intersections we had to make uh, Saturday morning now. Around 5 o'clock, um, we accept the Pitocin, and we're starting with one unit, and we're increasing every, like uh, to the next unit. Uh, usually they go in increments of two, but they're trying to work with us to stick as close to a natural birth progression as possible. So we're only increasing the Pitocin by one unit every 30 minutes, and that's... And normally they do two every 30 minutes. And then eventually we hit a point where we're doing one every 15, but um, that was kind of mid-morning. And then eventually we realized that we need to get an epidural. And that was uh, quite the experience because Liz was very, she was terrified of having to get that. She definitely did not want to have to get that. We want to stick to a natural birth plan, but uh, because we were getting all this Pitocin pumped in and we were still at this point only like four centimeters at like 10, 11 o'clock. We'll say 10 o'clock. Um, just the rate of <laughs> cervic expansion. I don't know what the term is called. Uh, it just, it was going too slow. So, and the, and the increase of Pitocin was having an effect, but just, we needed something else. So we needed the, we got the epidural at the point of epidural, I think we're at six, so we're in active labor at that point. And really from there, it just went zero to 60. I think we got the epidural around 11.30, 11.45. It was, I think, between 11.30 and noon. And then by 12.29, that was the official birth time of Milo, um, it just kind of came out, shot out, super clean. Um, the effect of the epidural hadn't really taken place yet. It had uh, done its thing, I suppose. Really, the effects of the epidural would take place after Milo came, which is interesting. And so Liz was like, this isn't fair. You know, I get the epidural and it uh, the whole purpose of it for a lot of women, the reason why they accept it into their system, it's, you know, it's not going to work for me. Um, but it did its thing. You know, I think it just everything came to a head. Um, and Liz could offer more technical terms because uh, 
she probably she's she's done more research and reading than I have. Although I will say this, we both read the Supernatural Childbirth uh, book from the mid '90s, and I'll have to figure out. There's a picture um, that I'll actually post because I can't remember the author and the title, but I know it just came out mid '90s, and it really helped. I read that most of the day on Friday. I kind of just ate it up um, as we waited for Milo, and it turned out to be part of what kept me centered, anchored, secure. So kept my mind at ease and in peace. So, um, so yeah, that's the oversimplified story. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time to talk up. So that's why, like again, this is one B to one A, a, a tag team pot that's coming down the line. So, so Milo's healthy. Mom is healthy. Everything we we spent a couple of days, two days in the hospital. We got discharged on Monday. Take obviously take the week off because Liz can't drive. She could drive now, but it's better that I drive and take her around and just keep her blood pressure low. Oh, I forgot to mention that back on October seventh, two days before the preeclampsia scare, she got diagnosed with gestational hypertension, and I should have mentioned that really the hypertension was making the calls for us at every stage. That was that was the back. And the back burner complication, all of this, from the 911 visit uh, a couple weeks ago to um, just going to the hospital, we knew that hypertension was a part of the equation. And at one point, right before the epidural and kind of midway between the pitocin pumps, we her blood pressure spiked to 200 because she got so nervous, she got so freaked out, like I can't do this. Um, and she already felt like guilty that she had to go off the birth plan. She was starting to feel overwhelmed by, you know, not only am I not, as this whole birth narrative so different from the prior two, but I, I, you know, have to accept kind of this weaker alternative. Not saying it is weaker. I'm just saying like what's going inside her head. I can see the wheels turning. Um, but even the effects, like the benefits, aren't working. So she's not getting the benefit of the doubt either way. She's missing all the advantages, and uh, so that's why she's like, man, and when you want to be at 8, 10, and you're still at 4, 6, after being stuck at 2 for almost a day, yeah, you could imagine women, mothers out there, um, it's very disheartening. How do we as men encourage? Well, I think it's important that husbands go into these moments um, having already invited the peace of God into their hearts and minds. They're the ones that have to be perfectly other-centered and willing to do anything to help, not just the wife, but medical personnel. You are the support person. You're going to see it all. At least you should be willing to be there for it all, in my opinion. Having that tangible presence being able to speak life and it being received. You, you want to be a part of, you want to co-partner with God in ushering in this newfound source of life and breath and your own flesh and blood for that matter. It's a microcosm of being created, even though God is the one who's ultimately purposed us and created us and formed us, knew us before we were even conceived in our mother's womb, as the psalmist declares a couple of times actually um, so it's really important that we go in already ready <laughs> not just uh, I'm ready to get this over with I'm ready to receive this baby into my life and see the eyes open and to 
be there to cut the umbilical cord. That's great and all, but going before and just pre-declaring, you know what? This birth is going to be, it's going to go smooth. It's going to be painless, even if it doesn't end up being painless. We declare at each point, like, this is going to be what God intended. And I just declare stability over my wife's body. I declare that it operates in its original intent. We declare healing and health and safety and discernment for personnel. But you don't just say, Lord, you don't pray that as like wishful thinking or just even hope, but that you declare it as if you declare it as will statements. It will happen. It will come to pass that the Lord will be a part of my physical laboring because the cross has meaning even in the flesh. It's not just, you know, Christ didn't come to die for just our spiritual freedom but emotionally and, and spiritual, the whole life wellness spectrum, God came to make a way straight when it doesn't seem like there is a way. And the inner workings of the womb can seem like a matrix to a man. It could seem uh, like a labyrinth. But whatever, Lord, whatever alignment, Lord, we declare that alignment ahead of time in advance and during. You don't stop. You pray for a supernatural alignment where there may not seem to be on a screen or an x-ray scan or you know it goes beyond what you see so staying anchored staying strong in the void of calm there were times when the calm was was lacking you felt like it was escaping the room and it's like you're trying to like preserve it but there's something really cool that happens when you go in ready and you're already armed in prayer you're you're armed in a spiritual warfare framework because there were times, like even the 911 visit, and also with the, you know, the when we're at the hospital, uh, both were TriStar medical centers. Um, each point, the calm denominator for me was, I just feel super calm. I don't know where the strength is coming from. Well, I do know, rather, but it's just, it, even though you pray for it, sometimes it's cool when you just are living. It's like, whoa, it's actually happening. Like, I can't explain. I can't put words. I, I just know that I feel the Lord's strength rising to this whole different level. And it's really cool. It's like, man, God is totally driving the ship here. I, he's captaining it. Like, I feel stronger than ever. And even physically, it's like I got off, I was doing so well on one hour of sleep. And it helps that, you know, I'm so focused on someone else other than myself. My needs are the last thing on my mind. And when that's in rhythm and it's in operation, it's not just, again, a hope and a prayer and a dream, but it's something that's active and it's rising before your eyes so awesome all right 13 verses of peace to gut our hearts and minds um i'm not going to talk about all 13 i'm on crosswalk right now just being honest debbie mcdaniel um has a good article up on finding god in the chaos and i'm just going to talk about some of these because some of these verses are part of my prayer package when it comes to peace i know that we we don't choose peace in a sense like we choose joy and we choose thanksgiving and peace is the overflow we don't choose the overflow we choose what leads to the overflow um and we could declare peace that god inhabits his presence that's really what it is it's like well we pray that your presence inhabits this place and that you will release the burdens from the weary that you will give a spirit of rest that when we enter into your rest and peace overflows from that. We cast all our anxieties on you and peace overflows from that. We pray your order into disorder and peace overflows from that. So um, 
So one prayer that we pray over our kids every night, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Some versions say in trust, and I love that, uh, whose mind is steadfast on him. So again, part of the common denominator in both of these hospital visits, I felt that perfect peace because I was living that Isaiah 26, 3 scripture. God never, I, you know, it's like, God, I want you to be a part of every the, not only the whole experience from the aerial perspective, but every decision, every turn, every like door that I come to, literally, like you help me know which way to go um, and what call to make. And it's not for our benefit, but for your glory to be made known first and foremost. Philippians 4.67, we all know this, but don't, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. I love the symmetry there. Uh, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, presenting all your requests to God, the peace of God which transcends all. Hearts and minds will be in you in Christ Jesus. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses people with peace, Psalm 2911, which is interesting because Jeremiah 2911, one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, has something to tag on to that. I'll let you read it. Um, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Matthew 11, 20, 30, we get that. Uh, we know that fairly well in Christian circles. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I think we underestimate the significance of learning from him when we're weary and burdened or when we're in the process of that transaction of casting burdens and receiving rest. Sometimes we do well casting the anxiety, but we're not so good at receiving the rest that God wants to put in that void. And there's going to be periods in our lives and complicated situations and chaos when there's a void that emerges because we're surrendering something or something just channels it away. All of a sudden there's this radical absence of health and we, we're out, it's, it's out of our control. And so some things are so out of our control, it's like, by all means, why wouldn't you want to surrender to God? Here, it's like, I don't even have the, I, I don't even want my hands on this. I can't get my hands on this. So I'm going to just, you know, whatever I have my hands on, I'm going to kind of compile this package together and be like, God, just take this. I want this from me in Jesus' name. <laughs> and not just because I want to be free so I feel better about my situation, but because I know that something better you want me to receive to take place to fill that void. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, I love this one. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you the peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with all of you at all times in every way. I love that. Because um, again, it, it, it implies that God is in the nitty-gritty. He's in the trenches with us. It's not just he's up in the clouds at the 40,000 foot level with the airplane, just looking down and just, you know, yeah, you got this, you know, I'm more than enough, everything for goodness and godliness, here you go, and just kind of channels it down, like he's very much alive with us in the passenger seats of life. So, let's see, Isaiah 32, 17 through 18, and the effects of righteousness will be peace, the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation and secure dwellings. Declare that over your hospital rooms and every place you go, whenever you have to go, to a TriStar Medical Center type place and uh, in quiet resting places. Uh, there will be opportunities even in the labor and birthing and deliveries of life that we um, may not sense that peaceful habitation, but God with you automatically means it's, there's a peaceful habitation to be encountered and discovered. So, there to, you know, when you're going somewhere, and it could be your work, it could be your office, to see that space as a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, and even a quiet resting place where God wants to inhabit the prayers and worship uh, the sacrifice of prayer that you have to offer. Um, a lot of times we, 
again, speaking from Christian circles and having grown up in them all my life, it's, it's easy to want to, like we want that simplified life. And I think there's ways to, um, when it comes to exiting our exit strategy out of crazy situations and, and circumstances, there is a simplified way to release and forgive and to move on the Jesus way. Uh, a lot of times, though, our quiet time, it's like we want, um, we pray for the simplified life so that we can just not have this struggle to, I don't know, um, the struggle is not a, a, as big when it comes to uncluttering your life and, you know, we, we want less distractions, but we kind of want less distractions our own way. And God's like, you know, in all these verses that I've just mentioned, one of the themes is accept each day as it comes, and not each each day, but the moments that come, each minute, each hour as it comes, and find me in the midst of it all. And it's just, uh, I found myself encouraged by having lived that, having discovered that in a fresh way through this birth, this birthing process, this story with, with Milo. Um, Certain times we were attacked physically as a family. We all got sick with a stomach bug earlier this month, by the way. I think Evie was ground zero. We all got sick. And everyone who helped us out, uh, every caregiver, every aunt, every grandparent who was involved in that situation got sick. We felt attacked. But it doesn't mean that God can't be discovered in the midst of it all. We may find that we want, we so want the, the turbulence to be gone, the garbage to be gone. We want the health to arrive and we we, it's it's okay to crave simplification, but sometimes we want we, we overcorrect and we want too much to be simplified. Where it's like no, like there's going to be some things that are complicated, and the fact that things get complicated doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. The fact that you're unhealthy um, and it's out of your hands doesn't mean you did something wrong to deserve it or earn it. You know, sickness happens. You know, but God is there. He's a redeemer. He's a healer. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, he's all the Jehovah's. <laughs> so receive all the Jehovah's in your life today. God is there in the midst of it all, bringing hope and chaos, clutter and demands. He, he wants his truth, his nature to shine through it all as you battle defeat and discouragement. When you feel hurt and stressed and you're trying to get the pressures off and nothing seems to work, at least in your own strength as far as trying to distract yourself from it. Don't burden yourself by distracting yourself from pain don't worry don't wear yourself out by trying to make sense of of your situation and don't exhaust yourself trying to find the perfect solution just rely on the lord and it will just come and sometimes you'll it'll be you'll be surprised how easy it seems how effortless rather it seems as he says you know what don't be afraid to let you know, to, like for me, one of those moments came in the form of I give discernment to the people I've called into the medical field. These people aren't here by mistake. Some of these people are good people. Some of them are even Christians. We had a, a doula, first day, volunteer, and she seemed like she'd been there forever. We had incredible favor throughout the experience. And yet we still had to be like, you know what? While we initially didn't plan to go certain directions while we were in labor and delivery, we didn't plan on deviating from a birth plan. It's like we realize that there's wisdom here. There's wisdom to be tapped into. And to say yes to them is not to say no to God. Sometimes saying yes to God is saying yes to the nurse who's in the office who knows what we're going through better than we do. And so to call those audibles 
It's not weakness, it's strength. And yeah, our body's in a state of weakness, but we rely on God's strength in those moments. Don't be afraid to say yes to someone who is where they need to be, who has said yes to God. A nurse saying yes to God to go in that direction, to be in their situation, and then to say yes to their yes. There's just a bunch of yeses going on. It's just one big yes to God, and it's just like glory extended. And now it's overcoming you, overwhelming you in the best way possible, where it's like, oh, okay, peace is here. I didn't expect it, but it's here. And I feel like the atmosphere of the room when Milo came was one of unbelievable, transcendent peace. Didn't mean it was always get there, but we found God's strength in the void of calm. And by the end of the story, there was calm. Now the household right now as I cut this, maybe not quite so much, but I'm about to cut and help us out and we go on. We venture on. But at least you kind of know the gist of the story. We'll come back and do another one. Apologies having to sign off really quickly, but as I always say, I'll catch you on the fry. It's going to be an awesome day. Have a great weekend. Love you guys. Peace.